don't want to die, she kept saying to herself. I don't want to die. A wave was lifting her, tossing her, pulling her farther out. Help me, she said again, then began to sob. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it was over. The invisible foamy chains abruptly released her, and she had to flail her arms to keep afloat. This was what they had talked about in the hotel, she thought. She had been tossed beyond the riptide. Don't go back into it, she told herself. Swim around it. But she was too tired. She was too far out. She looked at the distant shore. She would never make it. Her eyelids were so heavy. The water was starting to feel warm, like a blanket. She was getting sleepy. Swim, Nell. You can make it. It was her mother's voice, imploring her to fight. Nell, get moving. The urgent command from her father stung her senses and succeeded in shattering her lethargy. With blind obedience, Nell swam straight out, then began to make a wide circle around the area of the riptide. Every breath was a sob, every movement of her arms an impossible struggle, but she persevered. Agonizing minutes later, nearing exhaustion, she managed to dive into a swelling wave that grabbed her and held her and rushed her toward shore. Then it crested and broke, tossing her onto the hard, wet sand. Trembling violently, Nell started to get up, then felt firm hands lifting her to her feet. I was just coming to call you in, Cornelius McDermott said sharply. No more swimming for you today, young lady. They're putting up the red flag. They say there are riptides nearby. Nell knew better than to tell her beloved, no-nonsense grandfather what had just happened, and she especially did not want him to know that once again she had had one of those experiences of being in communication with her parents. Experiences that this most pragmatic of men brusquely dismissed as a flight of youthful fantasy. Seventeen years later, Thursday, June 8th, Nell set off at a brisk pace on her familiar walk from her apartment on Park Avenue and 73rd Street to her grandfather's office on 72nd and York. From the peremptory summons she had received, demanding that she be there by three o'clock, she knew that the situation with Bob Gorman must have come to a head. As a result, she was not looking forward to the meeting. Deep in thought, she was oblivious to the admiring glances that occasionally came her way. After all, she and Adam were happily married. Still, she knew that some people found a tall woman with the slim, strong body of an athlete, short, chestnut-colored hair that was now forming into humidity-caused ringlets, midnight blue eyes, and a generous mouth, attractive. While growing up and frequently attending public events with her grandfather, Nell's rueful observation was that when the media described her, that was usually the word used, attractive. To me, attractive is like having a guy say, she's not much to look at, but what a personality. It's the kiss of death. Just once I want to be described as beautiful or elegant or stunning or even stylish, she had complained when she was twenty. Typically, her grandfather's comment had been, for God's sake, don't be so silly. Be grateful you've got a head on your shoulders and know how to use it. The trouble was that she knew already what he wanted to discuss with her today and the way he was going to ask her to use her head was a problem. His plans for her and Adam's objections to them were most decidedly an issue. At 82, Cornelius McDermott had lost little of the vigor that for decades had made him one of the nation's most prominent congressmen. 
Elected at 30 to represent the Midtown Manhattan District where he had been raised, he had stayed in that spot for 50 years, resisting all arguments to run for the Senate. On his 80th birthday, he had chosen not to run again. Retirement for Mac meant opening a consulting office and making sure that New York City and state stayed in his party's political fold. An endorsement from him was a virtual laying on of hands for neophyte campaigners. Recognized everywhere, he could not walk down the street without being showered with affectionate and respectful greetings. When she reached his office today, Nell waved to the receptionist and walked back to her grandfather's suite. The mood? she asked Liz Hanley, his longtime secretary. Liz, a handsome sixty-year-old with dark brown hair and a no-nonsense expression, raised her eyes to heaven. It was a dark and stormy night, she said. Oh boy, that bad, Nell said with a sigh. She tapped on the door of the private office as she let herself in.